All right, good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to be in the house of the Lord with you all today. We had a uh, had a good week. I know that some of you were able to come out and be part of uh, the National Day of Prayer event. Well, there there is a there is a national one they do in D.C. Um, but I, I I don't know who, who I, I I don't know. But um, last year through the pastors prayer group, I got to know the guy that that uh, coordinates the, the Maryland uh, National Day of Prayer, and so I, I had the opportunity to do one of the prayers last year. And it was um, poorly attended, and actually last year too, right, right adjacent to Lawyers uh, Square there, where where we meet, they were doing construction. They're still doing construction, but last year they were literally bang, 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 <laughs> with with big equipment. So the Facebook Live audio for that was just you couldn't hear anybody, and we had a little dinky. Uh, um, speaker system and and I think last year there was probably 50 or so people 23 from our church um, and so um, I was like we can we got to do better than that we're in the state capitol right and so in the in the course of the pastor's prayer that we've been doing all year in the different neighborhoods and with the different folks we uh uh, began to promote this and ask people to uh, to come out and bring some people from their church because you, you can imagine and think about this just for Anne Arundel County, right? I imagine, right, that there are probably close to 300 churches if you counted all. I, I imagine there may even be more than that. Um, and if you had 300 churches and if each church just sent three you'd have 900 people, right? A lot of it is just people aren't aware, and maybe they were aware at one time or another, but at least in recent years, um, there really hasn't been uh, much going on uh, with that. But but in God's good providence, uh, you know, there was one church that brought out quite a few. They actually have Thursday night church services, and so they actually canceled, filled up a bus at the church, and other people came down. And they they uh, they probably had every bit of 120 people or so, and I would have uh, you know I had uh, Carlos try to do a rough count for us, um, and we were well over 250 probably in the in the crowd by the time it ended, so that we're certainly pleased to see that where you're sitting in front of the state capitol, you've got the governor's mansion over right next to it. And this year, um, someone provided a very nice, loud sound system, and uh, we were able to pray um, with uh, a certain amount of volume. And uh, it, it was really there was a, a large blessing there of of folks uh, just um, praying and being enthusiastic about Christ. And so there were prayers over seven areas 
um, which of course included of uh, the church, included uh, the government, included uh, emergency personnel, military, first responders, medical folks, doctors, um, uh, culture and media. And then this year I was, um, I had the last prayer, which was to, um, which was to pray for the lost. And then uh, I had the opportunity to present the gospel um, at the end. And so, you know, you get, they give, they give you six minutes for your prayer. And what they say is, you know, one minute if you have something you want to say kind of leading into the prayer and then five minutes of prayer. You know, they really want the prayer, of course. That's why we're there. And, you know, they, so I got my six minutes for that, but then I also was given six minutes for the gospel. And, you know, it's hard for a preacher to, like, you know, stick it into. That was actually, that took me, that took me a couple hours to refine it um, and, and try to make it fit. <laughs> no, no, I actually made that joke when I was starting, and they go, oh, we'll give you eight minutes. I mean, part of it is we have a permit from the state to be on the grounds, um, and not that you can't mingle afterwards, but they record, you know, this means that um, by taxpayer dollars, they have a certain amount of officers around uh, in case there's any kind of trouble, and we, we just want to honor our commitment. Uh, from a time stand, standpoint, and we were fine, but it, it was good, um, the gospel was preached, and I would say it was loud enough, certainly, for you to hear a block or two away, and maybe even perhaps in the governor's mansion as well, I don't know, but <clears throat> anyway, we, it, it was it was good, it was enthusiastic, um, that church that had canceled service, they they started singing at the end, and it was just good to see God's name being proclaimed, prayers being offered up uh, in front of the state house. And not that I want us to turn into a protest of any sort. What I would like to see, a, a vision, a, a heart that I have is perhaps the Lord will let us grow and 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 how do, how do we change the world that's in here? And then when we're commissioned out, what we do in our daily lives but, but one of the things that I think we face right now is, in many liberal places, the church is um, just not a force. It's not even recognized. It's not even united. That is something else that's coming out of the pastor's prayers. These pastors from uh, a number of different denominations, groups, are praying together. And we talked about before church distinctives and and it's okay for us to have distinctives but it's also um, good for us to identify ourselves if we want to say there is an enemy to be co-belligerents in the war against the enemies of God and so um, and that actually somewhat fits into what we're going to talk about today here in Sunday School and so um, I want us to uh, be mindful that prayer is good. And if, uh, you know, the, the first Thursday every year of May is the National Day of Prayer. If you lock that on your calendar, if you don't have larger pressing things, and I know there are lots of events, you know, it's that time of year where schools are doing things, there's all kinds of things. 
But if you're able, uh, we ask you to come out and, and pray and, and be encouraged in that way. So, so for future reference, it's, it is broadcast on Facebook Live. And if you want to watch it, it's actually archived. I can send the link to you. Uh, well, like I said, the good news is it is recorded. So if you want to go back, you can. Um, so let us uh, ask the Lord uh, to bless us today as we consider his word, consider... Um, the work of the church, the teachings of the scripture for the church. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would strengthen us, your people, your church. Lord, that we may worship you, that we may draw near to you. We thank you that you draw near to us. And Lord, we pray that we would be used of you to bring glory to your name, to evangelize and disciple the nations. Lord, we ask for your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So there, there, uh, there are a lot of thoughts about uh, revivals. I, I'm going to just make one historical note. Uh, revivals are good, right? We want people to be converted. Um, at the same time, in God's mercy, he brings us to know him. Um, and when he brings these revivals, and like anything that is dead and brought back to life, you are made just and made right by the work of Christ. But then comes the work of dealing with um, the you know, ongoing sin in our lives that we have to address. So the idols of the age, right, when a revival happens, are, are things that we have to confront, right? Um, you, you see this even in the Great Awakening, the uh, ideas of the Enlightenment, um, French revolutionary thought of, of the individual man, uh, this deistic approach to a God who is, um, you know, detached, distant, and far away, um, which again leads back to God working in individuals alone and uh, away from the church. And so... Uh, individualism um, it has is, you know, played a role in the Great Awakening, and we've seen that in um, consecutive movements, and that is, of course, one of the idols of our day, right? Um, as Doug Wilson sometimes um, says, he talks about our, our world around us, our nation has become um, clown car, I'm going to use the word crazy, but you know, just there's an insanity to it that is, um, you just can't guess what else is coming out of that, that car, right? What, is, what does it look like? And of course, um, what I want us to think about is what is the church's role, um, both as individuals and what does it mean collectively? And of course, we know from First uh, Peter chapter 4, um, you know, and I want us to think a little bit about this, but in verse 12 it says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So first of all, um, obviously there's a context to what's going on in the early church, but there's the context that applies to us today. 
Um, the end of the old covenant is happening. We've gone from the persecution of um, the Jewish religious leaders to, of the of the people of God of Christians to leading up to what we find is then Rome begins to persecute and those things get very you know becomes much more intense in the persecution of the church. Um, but it's not strange. Why is it not strange? Because this is God's ordained plan to um, end the old covenant and usher in the era of no longer Israel simply as the people of God, but also um, all the nations in the church. And so he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm not in any way suggesting that the persecutions that we are facing um, you know, take to the level of measure of what they were facing. But we are beginning to see more and more persecutions, more and more fear. Um, I'm aware of, a, of an institution not far from here where the fear of all kinds of things is causing the work of the church to contract and trying to figure out they're worried about all kinds of things and they're just narrowing it up, uh, constricting God's word being taught uh, and preached. And, uh, but but we, we need to be joyous in these things. And how, do, how can we be joyous when we see all the bad things happening? Right? Well, God is provident. His plan is unfolding. He is at work. And we know who sits on the throne and that his will and purposes will be done. So we can be glad with exceedingly joy. And it says this, If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of the glory of God rests in you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So there's part of this that has to say, hey, if you're being persecuted for your own deeds, that's one thing. But if you're being persecuted for the purposes of Christ, rejoice in that. Rest in King Jesus' sovereign hand over the earth. Again, it says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. <coughs> this is important. Um, if, if you're going to be an irritant to the lost, don't be an irritant as they would be an irritant. Okay? Be an irritant for Christ. Stand up for Christ. Live for Christ. Organize your world to reflect heaven. Okay? Organize your world to reflect heaven. The, the part of the dominion that God has given you, right? When we, when we say that Lord's Prayer and we say, um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not just a, a thing that we are asking of God, but that is an action item for the church and for Christians, right? So when you get your commission at the end of the service to go out, part of what you are doing is you are to go out and take what God has given you, what you are in control of, what you have, and organize it to reflect heaven, that is, to glorify God. So that how you work, how you, you are in your family, how you rear your children, how you respond to other people in your household, whether it's roommates, siblings, um, 
husbands, wives, um, other kinds of, of things. And then in your church, everything that, that you have a piece of responsibility for, are you doing it in a manner that, that glorifies God and honors him? Right? Um, and, and of course, um, what's the first thing that you have um, responsibility or you, that God has given you? Yourself, right? And then all the other things that God has blessed you with and put in front of you to take dominion over. Um, but we don't want to, we, we want people to be aggravated for the cause of Christ, right? And not aggravated because we're a busybody or an evildoer or a thief or a murderer or anything else. It goes in and says, yet in verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner, in this matter. And this is interesting. Verse 17, and, and of course this has uh, been, I think, at least in circles where I've been in the past, uh, preached in a particular manner. But I, I think there's truth to that, but it's important to see the, the larger picture here. And, and then it says this in verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if you've ever heard that passage preached before, it's talking about, you know, people will say it's about the repentance of the church. If the church is not serving God, is not glorifying God, God's judgment is coming. And, of course, there's a context to this, this epistle but, but what is its application to us as well? What, can, what truths can we draw from this? And what I want us to recognize is when you see the world in a mess, especially if you take a nation that um, was founded on Christian principles, um, you know, when you see all of these charters given by the king, when you see the people that are coming that God sent here and brought here, um, how many of them were committed to Christ, albeit with whatever baggage maybe their church had or proclivities or challenges, they were still doing it and coming largely as Christians for a long time, right? It, it, it later on became um, more of because of the blessings of God and people seeking Christ, um, you know, God blessed and brought a lot of prosperity and people would hear of the good things that were in America and would want to come um, for economic opportunities as well. Uh, but but I, I think it's important for us to recognize, so there was a time where most of the culture was centered on God, where most of the culture on a Sunday morning uh, was in church, where the Bible was read, where people prayed, where the word of God was preached. Um, you know, if you've ever read the sermons, hands, um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Edwards. Anybody read that before? Okay. And you can imagine a fiery preacher doing this, right? Um, but, but Edwards, he suffered from nearsightedness and was reading it like this. Okay, so he's reading his sermon like this, and I'm sure he was 
projecting a little bit, and the architecture of the church was designed for the voice to carry. But it wasn't simply emotionally driven, right? He spoke God's word. He explained God's word. And people were convicted of their sins. They repented. And that, of course, is part of great awakening. Because the church had unfaithful people. The church had people that maybe had been baptized and marked out um, with the name of God, but who were not living it according to the scriptures. And I want to say, I, I say this frequently, I'm, you're not going to be able to convince me, because um, I used to hold the opposite view, but today I hold the view that the society, the culture around us, is a reflection of the church. It's a reflection of the church. When the church is obedient to God, when the church worships, when the church uh, lives, when the Christian people live a penitent life in their homes, in their jobs, in the places that they go, and the things that they're doing, if they are organizing what God has given them in a way to glorify God, right, then the church, then the culture begins to uh, be changed. The church becomes salt and light. Darkness has to flee from the light. The, the salt cleanses and, and sanitizes and heals. And so when I look out at the world today and all of the challenges that are going on, as much as I want to be, see us, you know, one day a year, be out in front of the state capitol praying, right? I want us here in this church and broadly the church on the whole to be penitent before God, to be grateful before God, to live as we ought. Because what we should do is we should want God's word to expose the sin in our lives, we want for God to expose the sin in our brother's lives. Not so we can turn and go, hey, you got a problem. But rather to say, brother, sister, how can we help you be restored? And so all of this is I want us um, to, to see and understand and think that, yes, the church itself, us, this church right here, we have a call, we have an obligation to be penitent, to pray, to hear God's word, to come to the Lord's table, right? And in so doing, shake the gates of hell, prevail over the wicked world. And right now, it seems insurmountable, insurmountable. I'm going to give you a uh, historical perspective in just a second um, I I, uh, I want to make an make an observation here uh, rich Lusk in uh, a set of lectures that he did I may have referenced these before called the church and her rivals that he gave in 2009 there's a, a summary of his notes that's available online and he, he's, he's talking about the church 
And he says, you know, the principal thing the people of God do is gather to renew the covenant. That is to do the liturgy that we do where God renews his covenant with us, right? And then he says, but the church is not limited to these liturgical events. She gathers as God's temple, and then she scatters to be this God's city, right? We, we, we go out and we, we are creating outposts, cities, in our homes where we are light. We become these little outposts of God's city, of God's place, of God's temple out there um, in the world. And, and so I don't want you to think that I am so lifting up the church that all of the Christian life is here, but it starts here, we are the temple of God. We are uh, the, the living stones, and we'll, we'll be talking more about that um, today. But I want to, uh, you know, kind of give us a, an opportunity to uh, think this out a little bit. Here's a, a test case, and of course, um, he mentions in his he mentions several test cases in his uh, talk. He talks about the early apostolic period in the faithful church, um, how that was used by God, how God used the medieval church, um, you know, that was the engine to, to drive the full-flowering Christian civilization. Um, and this is how we get not just the Reformation, but we find things like Kuiper, right, and, and this, the, the Christian nation uh, rising up. Um, he makes a case for um, how God used the church in the civil rights movement, although he does show that there are problems when you have duplicities, right, where the church was instrumental in that work, but at the same time, ideas were being introduced of statism um, and redistribution of things and unfaithfulness in families is not important. Those ideas have had dire consequences um, that we can see in the community today. But I, but I thought what might be, of all the different examples that he references, I, I like this one uh, the, the most. You know, it's funny. W what do people do? You write to your audience, right? We even speak to our audiences. I'll be speaking soon at a, at a conference here coming up here in town, just a small one at a local church on uh, Christians, Christian men, and uh, I have the man and his family, and I don't know those particular people, or they're, you know, all those folks, so I met with the pastor there, and I said, you know, tell me a little bit about your people so that I can um, think about what to say and bring God's word to bear in a particular fashion, and that's good and wise, but it's interesting, Ronald Reagan, who was a a uh, pretty good politician in our country is credited with the toppling of communism. Okay? And there were certainly some political things he did, but, but remember, what, what, what do you think television and newspapers and magazines were doing? Were they talking about anything that was really happening on the other side of the Iron Curtain before the wall fell? Were they? No. They're looking at you know, our grandstanding, our political moves, all these things, you know, we will not negotiate with terrorists and, 
you know, we're not going to put up with this. And we're going to hold the we're going to hold the Russians accountable. And I'm not saying that that those um, weren't used of God. Obviously, it's part of God's mapped out plan. But it's really interesting. There's a there was a much more significant and powerful force at work behind the scenes. In 1989, the Holy Spirit ignited a prayer revival behind the Iron Curtain. How many have heard of that? Okay, a handful of people. You see, prayer meetings that were previously attended by only a dozen or so saints were suddenly attended by hundreds. Think about that. East German troops blocked the Audubon exits to keep the Christians from gathering. They actually got out there and blocked the highways so people couldn't come into the prayer meetings. Right? Christian leaders were arrested. And listen to this. Communist sympathizers tried to fill church seats so that true Christians would not have places to sit. Right? There was an organized effort by the government, who, by the way, of course, as you know, if you know the history of the church and anywhere communism goes, they stamp it out. They stamp it out. Or so they think. God always reserves his 7,000. Well, there's that, too. <laughs> There is that, but but I mean, it was such an organized effort that not only were, were the police out there in mass trying to keep people from getting there, they were so afraid. Think about this, the great and mighty powerful Soviet bloc and all the things it stood for, they were afraid of prayer meetings. They were afraid of churches and people gathering in the church, right? And And so... What happened? They not only sent men in the streets, but they sent men in the church. And to your point, how foolhardy is that? But the praying crowd still gathered. And finally, after several weeks, all public support for the Communist Party was lost. I mean, you think about this for just a second. Our TV cameras are on this side of the wall. And it's focused on all our politicians and all these things. And we know there's some kind of problem going on over there. We're like, oh, you know, the we got to tear down our big enemies, right? And God was at work with his church. And what happened? All the support, all those years of indoctrination, of attempt to, to, to tear out the church, to weed out the church, falls away. The sleeping giant had awoken. The church has crushed another tyrant. What we do here when we gather to worship God, to come in humility and repentance, to hear God's word, to worship him, to come to his table, it shakes the gates of hell. It assaults the gates of hell. And people of God, what I'm trying to, to, to share with you today is this, right? We need you to be those outposts out there 
reorganizing what God has given you to glorify him. And that begins to change the world. But what shakes the gates of hell is us as living stones together, forming the temple of the living triune God, worshiping him, that we may be transformed and that the waters of life may flow from the presence of the Almighty. And we become the trees planted along that river whose leaves bring healing to the nations. So do I see trouble outside our doors? I do. But we together must recognize that the most powerful thing we do every week is to gather together as God's people to confess our sins, to glorify Him, to pray for ourselves, for the world, and to come to His table. What a good God we have. He's the God who draws near. So, as, as evil and as decadent as our culture is, not far back in history, we can see where God used the church to do what men could not. Right? So I, I want us to understand that we are the people of God, and we need to turn to him, be repentant, be humble, see the strength of the church, even when the enemies of God are raging and planning to come against us. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your mercies. We thank you, Lord, that it doesn't depend on us. May we take your word, walk in obedience to it. Father, here, let us today worship you, draw near to you, we thank you that you are the God who draws near through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, to proclaim your truth here and in our daily lives, that it may glorify you. In Jesus' name. Joe?
is, uh, you know, we instinctively know. That's what Romans 1 tells us. We know. We know. But we need to. And, and I want to encourage you, pray at home, pray together. You're always welcome. Um, I can let you know if you're ever interested. You're always welcome to come and pray with us. It's not, I call it the pastor's prayer, but there are others who come as well. Uh, we welcome you if you can, 7 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Um, but at any rate, we want to be standing in prayer together. All right, peace, Lord, be with you. Prepare your hearts. Uh, have some time.